Happy New Year. Good to see you. So glad you're here. I'm Chris Jackson, in case there's a few of you that I haven't met yet, and just so happy that you're at Hope at the start of a new season. Um, welcome to the first exploration of Scripture that we'll do in this new year. I, I can't believe it's 2024. Is that crazy? Yes. Uh, didn't we used to read a, a scary futuristic book about 1984? <laughs> When I was a kid, there was a movie came out on 2000, and it was The Year We Make Contact. Anybody remember that? Do, do any of you remember where you were at Y2K? <laughs> I don't know if I should admit this, but we had our little stash of bottled water, and, and Jessica's parents were really into preparing for Y2K, so they made us buy all of this, like, 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 um, wheat and stuff that I wouldn't even know what to do with these things, like a big five-gallon bucket of something that's supposed to sustain me. But I remember, um, gosh, it was so long ago, Amber was not even one yet, but I remember New Year's Eve, we sat around the living room and we just waited for the world to end on Y2K. We've, we've lived through a lot. Do, do any of you remember uh, 2020? We're still living through 2020, but I can't believe we're at 2024. And yeah, Lana's right. We need a better set of resolutions than what we saw in the clip from the office. And so I'm going to read a few words from Revelation chapter 2. And I want us to spend just a few minutes today. We're going to start a new series next Sunday, but I want to spend a few minutes today pushing back against some of the ways that we assess uh, a new year and some of our new year resolution processes, because I think we miss something uh, that's so important, and when we miss it, it hurts us, and it actually hurts our forward momentum, and it sets us back instead of launching us forward. So I want to read some words from Jesus in Revelation 2 because they sound a lot like New Year resolutions. Jesus addresses seven churches in this passage. I'm only going to read about one, but he addresses seven churches, and he tells them uh, affirmations challenges, rebukes, there's goal setting, and there's promises. So it reads a lot like a New Year resolution, but I want you to, to, to notice and catch how he begins. We're just going to read about one church, but he begins his talk with all of the churches in the same way. He says in Revelation 2 verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but aren't, and you have found them false. You have persevered, you have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary. Is that how you start your New Year's processing. Do any of you do New Year resolutions, by the way? Oh my gosh, what, what, what a high achieving group. <laughs> is, so we have a couple. Is New Year resolutions still a thing? For, for, for those of you that, that used to do New Year resolutions, did, did you start there? Did you start with what you were doing well? Or, or did you start by thinking about what you needed to change? See, see, that's what a New Year resolution is. A resolution is quite an intense word, by the way. It means to be fiercely determined. 
and we always apply it to things that need to change. I am resolved to do better or to be better this year. That's what a resolution is. And I guess they're not a thing anymore, but... but Do any of you have a list of resolutions for your friends to work on? Maybe we'll try that. (laughs) Frank, you have a short list for JoLynn? Jessica asked me the sweetest question on New Year's this year. So, so awesome. She, she said, is there any way this year that I can do a better job of loving you and, and encouraging you? And I told her no. She's amazing, but truly. And then I thought, well, I'll just ask the question back to her. <laughs> and I was just being polite. Isn't that what you do? Well, how about me? And... I thought she would say the same thing, but she, she had a little list. And so, <laughs> so you're going to watch me improve this year. But, but that's what resolutions are. They're commitments to do better or be better, and we need to do better and be better. Our world needs to get better, and our world gets better when people get better. The hope of the world is better people. And... and, and And yet, according to Jesus, the starting point for change is not focusing on what needs to change. If you follow Jesus' assessment, remember, Jesus Christ is the most reliable person who ever lived. And if we follow Jesus' assessment, you are not allowed to start focusing on growth areas until you have paused to consider what you have done well. I'll repeat that because that runs very counter to how most of us work with our neuroses and our issues as humans. According to the way Jesus assessed the health of these churches, you are not allowed to focus on growth areas if you have not paused to be grateful for what you have done well. Are you good at doing that? Is it easier to focus on what you've done well or what you need to improve? Is it easier for you to say, oh, I, 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 I can't believe how far I've come, or to say, wow, I, I can't believe how far I still need to go? Um, Jessica read an Instagram post to me that I thought was really good. This woman was commenting on New Year resolutions, and she said, as you consider your life and where you are, And as you think about the things you've lived through and the person you had to be to get you where you are today, why don't you thank her for carrying you to this point in your story before you tell her all the things she needs to improve? I think that's really good. I I think that, that that sounds like Jesus' words. It's not a trendy Instagram quote. It sounds like Jesus. I know your deeds. I know your hard work. And I know your perseverance. Well done. So I have a resolution for all of you. Am I allowed to, you know, teachers give homework? Can I give a resolution assignment as a pastor? In 2024, I want you to be a little bit kinder to yourself. And we're wired so differently as humans, that almost sounds wrong. It almost sounds like, no, I don't need him to be kinder to himself. I need him to change. 
I don't need affirmations and and comfort. I need a breakthrough. I need something to change in my life. It almost sounds like a little heretical to say, be kinder to yourself because we're always striving as people. But but if we feel a little bit of that, it, it reveals that we don't fully understand the power of kindness. Kindness is a superpower. Kindness gets listed as one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So so consider this. One of the manifestations of the movement of the Spirit of God in your life is when you walk in love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. In Romans 2.4, the Apostle Paul said that God's kindness leads us to repentance. So if you have somebody in your life and you need them to change... I need this person to repent. Kindness needs to be in the mix of that relationship. Let me read that verse to you. Romans 2, 4 says, Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? This is is really kind of earth-shattering. When you think of confrontation and you think of somebody needing to change, we usually picture a hammer that needs to break something, and it's actually kindness that leads to repentance. Um, The the Greek word that we translate into kindness is the word Christos. Recognize Christ in that word? Do you see that that's the root of our name as Christians? So we were named after Christ kindness. The the definition of that word means kindness, patience, grace, gentleness. One of the uh, things I love about this word, it's the literary opposite, so it's the antonym of harshness. It's the antonym to severity or cutting something off quickly. And one of my favorite um, dictionaries describes this as a grace that saturates the entire nature of a person, mellowing everything that would be harsh or austere. Which means that that the longer you walk in the Spirit, the more God is working in you, the the more the, the rough edges get taken away. This word actually gets used to describe aged wine that's lost the bite. It's lost the bitterness And according to the Apostle Paul, that kind of grace and kindness leads to repentance. King David talked about it in Psalm 18.35. He said, your gentleness has made me great. So kindness is a superpower. It leads to repentance. It makes people great. When I was very young, 20, 21, I worked for a pastor who was really hard on me. He was a very confrontive personality. Just by nature, he was a pretty intense guy, very confrontive. And his philosophy on discipleship was very much a military boot camp approach. So his approach was, I'm going to break you down, and I'm going to you know, tell you everything you're doing wrong, and everything I see in your life, I'm going to, I'm going to force you to, to see this, and I'm going to take you to the cross. And, and, and so he was very confronted. He confronted me a lot. <clears throat> I worked for him for several years, and I probably needed a lot of confrontation back then. But I was thinking about it the other day. 
I had one interaction with him that changed my life more than hours of confrontive conversations. And I literally had hours of conversations with him that were confrontive in nature. But but the thing that changed my life the most was a two-word phrase he whispered to me one night. Uh, Our church had a midweek service, and on a Thursday evening, I had a chance to teach a little bit. We had a spot in our service where people could get up for five minutes and give a little word, and I had asked for the five minutes, and so I had my scripture, and I was super excited. I was walking toward the stage, and he grabbed my arm, and he goes, you're inspiring. And that one little phrase, it's not that it just made me feel good. That one little phrase actually built me up and changed me and made me want to be better more than all of the harsh, confrontive, let me point out your flaws conversations did. Um, Jesus would have confronted me. It's not that confrontation is bad. It's that Jesus' confrontation has a context. I love you. I'm proud of how far you've come. I see the effort. I'm taking you somewhere. Now, yeah, let's step up and let's do better. Um, How kind are you to you? Are you kinder to you or are you kinder to other people? I'm going to teach at the chapel service at APU in a couple of weeks, and I want to process with the students the, the two questions that God asked humanity God's first two questions to humans were, where are you and who told you that? See, where we end up in life is often a result of who told us certain things. And the person who tells you things more than any other person is you. You listen to your own little voice inside your head more often than any other person in your life. Where you are today is often a result of what that voice is saying to you. In fact, in Proverbs 23, 7, in the old King James Version, there's a, a great verse that says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a person thinks in their heart, so are they. That word thinks means to be a gatekeeper. It refers to a person who was tasked with the opening and the closing of an entrance. So this person, this, this, this idea of being that, in that role, it's somebody who has authority to determine what comes in and what goes out. So stated differently, it's like being border control for your mind. And you determine what comes in and what takes up roots. And whatever comes in and whatever takes up roots determines um, who we become. And a lot of times, the things that we say to ourselves, wow, They're way harsher than anything we would say to somebody else. I know sometimes people feel like, you know, it's easier to be nice to a stranger than your own family, you know, because I don't have to be quite as patient because they love me and they accept me, but what what about with ourselves? So I have an issue that you have seen, because if you've been around Hope for a while, if you've heard me talk more than a couple of times, you know that I'm working on something. I have this habit of starting to say things that I regret (laughs) when I'm talking. And I'm actually getting way better on it than I used to be, believe it or not. It used to be I would say things and didn't even notice. Then I said them and then I felt guilty. Now I catch myself in mid-saying. So I'm improving. So the day will come when I don't even say those things. 
But, but it, it becomes a really awkward moment because sometimes, sometimes it's just a stupid joke or I start to tell a story and think, ah, oh, that doesn't connect or I should have checked with Jessica. But I, I want to tell you, there, there's also something else happening in here in those moments. I have a profound aversion in church settings to anything that comes across ultra-churchy or religious or cheesy religion, I think that the message of Jesus is the most brilliant, breathtaking thing ever. And I hate when it sounds like insider language or like we all have it all together. So somebody who's not a part of the faith would, wouldn't be able to relate. I hate that. So I really love more vulnerable and raw conversation. But, so sometimes I'm, I'm just being more vulnerable, but I don't need to be. For instance, I was teaching up at Hume Lake this last fall. I was teaching for a group of pastors for a week. And in one of my sessions, I used an inappropriate word. I, I used it very appropriately. And it, it fit. And I wasn't going for shock value. I wasn't trying to just, you know, get their attention. I was actually, to be honest, I was trying to be incredibly vulnerable and raw with a group of my peers. Now, I didn't need to use the bad word, and somebody confronted me afterwards. And that was fine. That was good. I was preaching. I should have been more cautious. I, re I changed. I repented. But, but here's what happens on the inside of me after those moments. So whether I'm about to blurt something out here, and then I rein it in, and it's awkward, Whenever I'm done with that, there's always two things that happen on the inside. The first is a big sigh. <sighs> and then I think, you idiot. Why do you keep doing that? It's not funny. It doesn't make the preaching better. Everybody thinks it's dumb. <sighs> and I have this little inner dialogue. I spoke at several of our Better Man sessions last year, and I had an incredible theme. I was teaching on sealed orders. The idea that God brought you into this world with a destiny to discover. Powerful theme. But I was in a very vulnerable place personally, um, still am, but I was in a very vulnerable place personally when I was teaching that. And I felt like I missed it. I felt like too much of that vulnerability came out in my talks. And there was one night, I, and sorry if we're just having therapy here, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a new year. I'm trying to get stuff off my chest. I, I drove away from the campus, and I, I drove away with that big sigh, <sighs> and I thought, what a joke. What a waste of time for those guys. And you know what? It might have been a waste of time for those guys. The preaching might have been a joke, but I would never tell Isaiah after one of his messages, what a waste of time. I would never talk to Christina Cardona, our youth pastor. I would never, if she came to me and wanted to process things with student ministry, I would never do a big sigh. Oh, Christina, what a waste. I would never talk to somebody else like that. And so what, why do we talk to ourselves that way? We, we wouldn't talk to another person like that, but we have these loops that go on in our minds over and over. And as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. Listen, if Jesus sat with you, to do your 2024 assessment, it would be a relational conversation. There would be things you need to change. There would be things you need to improve. But you know, it's interesting, when he 
told them about the seven stars in the right hand, and he was the one who walked among the golden lampstands. He wasn't just rattling off a list of titles. That's not like a boxing announcer announcing, you know, the, now the, the one and only, the master of disaster, the king of sting, Apollo Creed. That's not what Jesus was doing. With each of these churches, he begins with an insight into his own nature. See, the seven churches are represented by the seven stars. So when he says, I'm the one that's holding the seven stars, he was saying, hey, church in Ephesus, I'm holding you. So before we go down this road of where I need you to step it up, I want you to know I've got you. And if I've got you, that's a pretty secure place to be. And by the way, I'm the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's, that's a prophetic picture of the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, not only do I have you in my grip, my spirit is at work in you. So no matter what's coming, no matter where you need to step up, you need to know you're held and you're empowered. Um, he revealed his heart to them, and then he said, yes, I have this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. It's interesting when he needed to get a church to repent that he started with kindness. It's a superpower. It, it pulls the greatness out of a person. I have some resolutions for our church. I have some things this year that I want us to get better at. But I don't know if you're like me. If you are like me, and you probably are because I think you're human, we, we, we need to pause and let simmer the good, before we rush to the things that need to change. I'll tell you one of the things that I really am committed to in our church. I want to do a better job of investing in the upcoming generation. When I look at our church and our demographic and our age and who's upcoming, I want to do a better job of, one, investing in the young people in our church, but I also want to empower them and find places for them to have a voice because this is the generation that will lead our church. And so I'm deeply resolved to, to investing in the next generation in our church. But, but you know what? Before we lament, oh, our church is so old. <laughs> I don't think that, by the way. <clears throat> but before we lament, oh, we, we, we need to be more relevant to young people. God, we, we, we can't miss this next generation. I think before we go there, I think we need to stop and say, wow, have you noticed we have Christina Cardona on our staff? Talk about a great young leader. We have Michaela Kim. We have Naomi Gonzalez. We have Lana Varela on our staff now. I mean, talk about a dynamic young leader. We started a young adult ministry this year. Did you know that? Pastor Isaiah is leading it with a group of, of young adults. It might not be everything we want yet, but we started it. Did you notice all of the young people that got baptized this year? One of them's here on the front row. The only person who set a resolution for this year. <clears throat> Listen, we had so many kids and young people baptized. That wasn't children doing something that their parents wanted. Those were actual commitments to follow Jesus. So before we lament what we don't have and where we should go, I think we should pause and say, wow, this is amazing. Speaking of baptisms, I would like more baptisms than we've had this year. But you know what? Before we lament, oh, we only had 20 or 30 baptisms this year. 
Other churches have 20 baptisms a week. Before we do that, I do think it's worth saying, wow, we are the only people in the world that saw Cole Benson or Jonathan Thomas or Alfredo, who was dipped in the freezing cold water by his dad, Diego, a few weeks ago. We're the only people in the world that got to see those baptisms. And that's pretty awesome. Pretty special. I want to reach more people this year. Our mission as a church is to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope. Our world needs faith, love, and hope. Our church needs to expand. There are more people to be reached. But I think before we shift into, okay, we got to pray more, or we got to try harder, or how do we get more creative? I think we should just take a few minutes here on the first Sunday and say, wow, we sent 10,000 gifts to children around the world through Operation Christmas Child. And the amazing thing about the gifts is it's not just they got a sweet Christmas present from somebody that doesn't even know them. The gifts contained the gospel message in them. So 10,000 children received gifts because of you this year. And 10,000 plus people also were at least exposed to the message of the gospel. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> this year, we funded the digging of two wells on two different continents. So right now, there are people drinking uh, clean, refined pure water because of you. I think we should let those things simmer a little bit. We should sit with that for a second. We did a community-wide service event last year. We're doing it again this year. We're moving in his steps to our anniversary date of our new church, so we're doing it on September 11 weekend. We did a community-wide service event. We had law enforcement members and uh, firefighters on our campus afterward thanking us. It's pretty cool. Uh, we, we sent a team to Mexico to serve. <laughs> I guess I'm not sure how effectively they served, but Mario assured me that the work was done before he and Richard crashed. <laughs> but, but, but this is a better picture of the team. And, and you heard in the announcements that this year we're sending two teams. So we're making Mexico mission a part of a, a regular annual thing for our church. But that's pretty amazing. Jessica and I served in Uganda. And that wasn't just our little side thing. We, 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 we served, I'm, I'm the pastor of Hope City Church. We served representing our congregation. We hosted a Better Man Conference for the 210 Corridor this year. This is our, our Better Man Camp. But we hosted a conference for men that was available to guys all along the 210 Corridor out of this little church. That's amazing. If men became better, our world would get better. That's pretty awesome. We, we did a women's retreat. We did women's Bible studies. The women's ministry branched out and started a new expression called embrace, which was fantastic. I heard it was even so great. We had wildlife that tried to attend. We had a bear that came onto the patio and actually wanted to see what was happening. But um, we took students to camp. I think I missed that picture. I don't know if you can back that one up. We took students to a couple different camps, met with students, served students every week. We did a trunk or treat event for the community. Our children's ministry did a lot this year, but this was so special. At the trunk or treat event, that was where we met Jacqueline and Diego and their son, Alfredo. And you may remember who I'm talking about. They adopted this young boy. That was their first time at our church. 
One of our people, their good friends, brought them to church. They're part of church, but they, they, weren't, they, didn't, um, they, they were needing a new church family. They came to our church, and then they baptized their son um, just a few weeks later on our patio. It's just amazing. And listen, that doesn't count everything you did. That, that's not everything we did, but let's think about that, and then now let's think about the stuff you did. Uh, let me read you. I love these words from 2 Corinthians 3, 2 where Paul says to the Corinthians, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The kingdom of God ministered at your job through you this year. The kingdom of God was present at your anniversaries and your birthdays and your family reunions, even the ones you dreaded attending. How many people did you pray for this year, just in your little quiet time? How many people did you have a, a conversation about God with, whether you were eloquent or fumbling and didn't know if you did a good job? How much money did you give outside of hope? By the way, speaking of money, I, I wanted to tell you that we... Um, the year in giving we had at this church was spectacular. In 2023, the money that came in exceeded the budget that I've been asking our board for for 2024. So that's amazing. So thank you for that. <clears throat> but how much money did you give to causes outside of our church? In our church, we've supported nonprofits and missionaries, anti-trafficking efforts, school buildings in Pakistan. It's amazing. And if we added all of that up, it's remarkable. And so why, if that's the case, is it so easy for me to feel like a failure at the end of a year? If you prayed that much and showed up that consistently and lived that faithfully, why is it so easy for you to feel like you're not measuring up? I think part of it is because we do need to do better. We do need to step up. There is more to be done. But I also think it's probably partly because we have forgotten our role as the gatekeeper of our own mind. And we have forgotten that when somebody sends you an email that pays you a compliment, you need to actually absorb it before you move on to the negativity. When somebody says they're praying for you, you need to believe them and say thank you before moving on to the desperation that even spurred the prayer. I think we need to get back to our post and take a close look at what's taking root because the things that we're listening to consistently land us in the places that we are. So um, here's how I'd like us to move into 2024. Jessica is really big on, on respecting people's stories. She says to me all the time, if we knew their story, we would know why they are the way they are. So when we talk about you, <laughs> she, but she always says, if we knew what they've lived through, we would know why they've become who they became because they had to be that to get where they are. And she says, if we understood their story, we would respect them more, and we would have a lot more um, gratitude for where they've made it in life. So here's how I'd like us to, 
to move into that idea. Um, three things as we start the new year. Number one, be kinder. Be kinder to you. Be kinder to others. According to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, kindness is our antidote to hate. According to Jesus, it's not my hate that will turn an enemy into my friend, but my kindness might. It's so interesting in church, kindness, love, forgiveness, patience. They sound so light and fluffy. Those things are iron. Those things are steel. Those things chop down castle walls and topple giants and destroy dragons. Kindness is a superpower. Be kinder to yourself. Be kinder to the people around you. It it, it leads to repentance. It breaks down walls. Number two, um, just scoot real quickly to Mark chapter 14. Number two, do what you can. Do what you can. I think sometimes we're obsessed, or at least I'm obsessed with what I should be doing instead of realizing all I can do is what I can do, and if I did what I can do, then that's going to have to be enough. In Mark 14, Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, is pouring this super expensive perfume all over Jesus' head, his hair, his feet, and the people around them get really uptight. Like, what's, why is she wasting this? The, 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 the perfume cost a fortune. And Jesus answered them in Mark 14, verse 6, and he said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. But then in verse 8, he said, she did what she could. I love that. I think in the epic struggle of our life, you know, we think on a heroic level, and I've got to be perfect, and I've got to know exactly what to do, and I've got to handle the family just right. No, you need to do what you can. Jesus actually took what she did, and he elevated it. He said, you know, this whole scene right here, I'll tell you what's happening. She's actually anointing me for my burial. She's commissioning me for the cross. And so that means if you do what you can, Jesus will add his power to it, and it will be enough. Now, you need to do what you can. Some people don't do what they can, and then they lament why nothing's changing. You have to do what you can. But if you do what you can, it will be enough. So be kinder. Do what you can. And then number three, get back to your post. I'm going to have you turn one one more verse. It's going to take you about an hour to find it, but let's go to Habakkuk. Anybody anybody able to spell Habakkuk? Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2 is the perfect passage to start a new year with. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I will stand at my watch. This is a gatekeeper passage. I will stand at my watch. I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. This is an awesome verse. I'm not going to just throw open the gate to any random thought. I have a complaint. I've got this issue that I need to process, but I'm going to stand at my watch. I'm going to station myself on the ramparts. In other words, I am going to stand right where you told me to stand. So if you ask me the question, where are you? I'm going to say, I'm right where you left me. Listen, at the start of the new year, I hope Jesus has your resignation letter, and I hope he has your marching orders, 
And he can move you anywhere he wants at any time in your life. But until he does, we put down roots. He has my resignation. He has my orders. He has my future. But if he goes looking for me, I'm not going to be in the wrong field. I'm not going to be off somewhere that I shouldn't be. I'm right where you left me. And I'm standing at my post, and I'm guarding the door, and I'm watching the gate, and I'm waiting to see what you will say to me. And then I love verse 2 because it says, Then the Lord replied. God likes to talk to people who stay at their post, who put down roots, who do what they can, and who wait for his instructions. And then he says, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. The revelation waits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it lingers, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. God has a vision for you in 2024. Might come quickly. It might delay. But he has a vision for your year, whether you're in high school or you're a young professional or you're moving into retirement. God has an assignment and a vision. Our job is to be kind to, what was number two? What was it? Okay, good, because I totally forgot. Do what you can and then get back to your post. And if we do that, he will speak, we will respond, and we're going to look a lot more like Jesus at the end of this year. I tell you what, my wife is going to have the best year of marriage that she's ever had in 29 years. I'm serious. I'm going to be the best dad I've ever been. I'm going to be the best pastor that I've ever been. doesn't mean you're going to like me better. doesn't mean you're going to think I'm doing better, but I'm going to be better. I have a lot of work to do this year. 